Hi, it's Bev, and this is the People at Work podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Jostle, a tech company located in Vancouver, Canada. And our product is an employee engagement platform that we are using to help employees be more successful in their workday. And at the same time, we would love to understand what's actually happening at work. And as we know, the last 18 to 20 months have changed dramatically for work. Um, so we have conversations like the one I'm going to have today to really get insights and thoughts from thinkers and speakers and authors and people who are actually in organizations to help us understand what's going on for people and the experience that they're having during the workday. Today, my guest is Latanya Wilkins, who is the founder of The Change Coaches and author of a new book, Leading Below the Surface. Today's topic is how to take DEI in the workplace to an advanced level. Welcome, Latanya. Great to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to chat about this. Yeah, it's, it's a big topic, but uh, we're going to do our best to dig into a little bit of the current state of DEI in the workplace and then some of your recommendations for how we can actually take it to the next level or call it, as you did, 2.0 in the workplace. Uh, so um, why don't we jump right in and like, like, could you tell us from what you've seen and heard over the past few months and, you know, the preceding months before that with COVID, um, what's the overall state of DEI in the workplace right now? Yeah, so let's go back to 2020. And in March 2020, a lot of places closed down. People were working from home. And then some people, some towns were completely closed down, some were not. And so what happened is uh, with DEI, it was, it was still kind of just a field, right? When, when the when pandemic first started. And then what happened is there were a lot of social injustices that were going on in the world. And a lot of us were, were basically confined to our homes and on social media. So we had to see these injustices. And I don't want to name all of them. You, you know, I mean, there were different movements. There were Black Lives Matter. There was, uh, there, was a lot, there were a lot going on with Asian, anti-Asian violence, especially in the U.S. And so, and outside the U.S., but there's notably in the U.S. And so people started thinking about this more especially after the George Floyd uh, murder. And it was so brutal that I, I had people calling that were you know, CEOs that never, that, that said things that, like, oh, I never really thought about bringing politics into the workplace. So that said a lot about how people really saw DEI or what it really meant. I mean, what that meant is that it was an organizational initiative. Uh, but when it came to the human aspects and the, you know, the racism piece of it, that was something that they never associated with it. So then what happened is all these organizations started investing all this money in DEI and they started hiring all these DEI experts and, and heads of DEI. And last year, I would say between last year, late last year, early this year, tons of new companies adding their first uh, DEI person ever. And now it's it remains to be seen, but I still don't think DEI is doing a very good job of really making changes in the workplace. I do think that, yeah, there's more awareness out there, but I, I still think when it comes down to it, organizations uh, are either perplexed on what to do next or they don't really want to do what's next and invest in that because it's it's completely going to turn everything upside down. So the state is that it's still unraveling. Um, 
Do I think it's better than it was last year? Uh, yeah, there's more awareness, but that's about it. Yeah, interesting observations. And, uh, you know, I, I too can attest to feeling completely um, distraught about the events that unfolded, particularly around George Floyd's murder and just feeling for the first time that I had woken up to what the reality was and feeling some shame and guilt around that, around realizing that I, I had not actually sat up and taken notice of what was going on and felt compelled um, to speak out about it with my peers at work and with the leadership team in my own organization. But I completely get what you're saying about it's one thing having that moment and being confronted by this, but actually doing something meaningful and lasting is a completely different story, right? And I think that's probably where a lot of organizations have, have gotten stuck, where it was easy to put up the black square on Instagram or, you know, say vocally that you are against anti-Asian hate or, you know, you want everyone in your organization to be included or, or be able to be who they are at work. Um, it's another thing completely actually doing meaningful work in, in that context. Um, and I find that a lot of people have had their, you know, they've changed their policies or they've done things that nicely allow them to tuck DEI into this little box, but that's where it stops. And so I'm hoping that some of the things we're going to talk about today are really going to help us break out of that and, and, and get to this doing side of things more than just saying. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, another example that comes up for me, and again, it, it's what makes me very skeptical that things are going to change is Pulse nightclub. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's the shootings in Florida high schools and in, in the high schools around the nation when we, we think we're going to change, but we don't. And it's like, with Pulse nightclub, all these folks were, you know, a bunch of queer kids were shot up and um, nobody, you know, we talked about it and we had these vigils and, but when you look at the workplace, is it any better for LGBTQ plus folks? I don't know. I mean, I, do I think there's more awareness? Yeah. But there's still, again, we're not getting to the, the core of, of the change there. Uh, we, we can cite things, we could put out statements. But have we really changed internally? Yeah, and it's it's hard work, right? It's it's hard to bring about the change that we need to see happen. But I think the workplace is a is a tremendous and a powerful place for us to start doing that, given that that is where most adults spend a good chunk of their waking moments, right? And workplaces, I think, have an opportunity to really lead the way with with impacting society at large by being more inclusive in their practices and creating these spaces for people to be welcomed and to feel that they belong. Um, but again, I know it's easier said than done. So um, just want to take a moment to just talk about the pandemic situation in particular and what that's done for DEI. Um, you know, we know that a lot of people were feeling very isolated and lonely through the pandemic. Uh, we know that some of the barriers to inclusion that were already there for people who were um, you know, struggling with stereotyping or exclusion for some reason have actually increased. So there is a risk that people are feeling even more excluded than they were before. Um, but I'd love to hear your take on, like, has has the pandemic helped us or hindered us on the DEI front, do you think? I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I will say in the way it's helped is... Again, we have more awareness. I think we have 
more awareness on racism and systemic oppression. I also think we have more awareness and appreciation around family and in home space and just being a little bit more forgiving. I mean, I think that was one of the things about the pandemic where, you know, as an executive coach and, and you know, I, I, I work with many executives and they might have their kids in the session and that's become a way of life and that's become socially acceptable. Uh, so that's been, that's helped. Uh, hindered. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's when we're moving into remote workplaces and hybrid workplaces, to your point, it gets harder. So what was already hard in person, now it's, it's how do you do this with half your team at home and half your team in the office with you? Or how do you do this 100% remote when you are used to, you know, connecting with a lot of your staff by the water cooler? When in my book, I talk about uh, a couple of different types of listening. Um, I talk, and this is related to how this has hindered us. So I talk about person-to-person listening, which is traditional active listening. And then I talk about another type of listening that's person-to-belonging listening. And that's being able to be an observer of your team and people on your team and discerning how well they're fitting into the environment, you know, how, how healthy the environment may seem to them you know, how other environments resonating. You can usually tell by facial expressions and body language. And it makes it a lot harder to do the P2B listening uh, if, you are, if you're in a hybrid environment. And especially if that's a concept that you've never heard of, um, you probably didn't know what it was before. And so you're not doing it then. And, and so you just have more limited situations to practice. So I, I think that's a, that's a way that it's hindered us. But that's the state of the world. and this could be where we stay, where we are remote. And so what do we do in order to create these, these healthy environments and these cultures of belonging? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, you know, as I've been thinking about it, it, it really, hybrid in particular is providing some challenges for us, but it's also providing opportunities for us. And I think if we can take um, the positive things from what we learned over the last 18 to 20 months, um, you know, things like being more respectful of people's work-life integration, understanding what their particular needs are as individuals first and what they need to look after themselves and their families, being more compassionate, being more inclusive in our language, creating belonging for people when we can't do so in person. Like, I think those are all things that are really going to help us build fantastic hybrid workplaces in the context of a regular environment, not a global pandemic, which um, I think it's going to be really interesting, right? Like, how is it going to feel to be in a hybrid workplace when there is no pandemic going on, right? So, and, you know, I think as it relates to DEI, those are things that are like compassion, understanding, respect. Like, those are things that are at the foundation of being able to be more inclusive in workplaces, right? So that, that's my hope is that we can actually have leaders who have grown over this time to now be defaulting to that way of showing up, which can only serve um, DEI in, in the workplace. So, um, so thanks, thanks for your perspective on that. Um, as we're thinking about hybrid workplaces and I, I read a, a report last week from the, the Steelcase Global report that said 72% of organizations going forward are going to be a hybrid workplace of some shape or form. So we know hybrid isn't going away for us. So uh, w- what do you think we need most in those 
types of workplaces to help us ensure that DEI is front and center for us and is part of how we operate as organizations? Yeah. So in my book, I talk about I, the three prongs. I, I talk about below the surface leadership and those three prongs. And the first prong I talk about is real leadership, but I'll come back to that. But that's an acronym. It's uh, being relatable, equitable, aware, and loyal. Uh, the second two prongs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus more on those for this question. Uh, the second prong is empathy. Uh, so it's, it's empathetic listening. And I talked about the two types of empathetic listening here just a bit ago. The third prong is creating psych psychologically safe relationships. And I think that those last two are going to be so, so important, um, especially in the, in the environment moving towards the future. Um, and so with, with empathy, it's, it's, again, starting with that empathetic listening and trying to listen from multiple standpoints and from multiple senses. Um, I think with when, you know, you're going to have to, right? Like when you're thinking about your teams now, you're probably on a Zoom meeting. You're probably talking to them and listening with your ears. I mean, you got to listen more with your eyes. You've got to You've got to play things back. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to feel the, the emotions with your staff and come to that level. So that's the first one. Um, the second one is creating psychologically safe relationships. And how do you do that? Right? Like I keep getting asked that question. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's many things that you can do. Um, one of the first things that you can do, and people look at me because this is very simple, but we don't think of it, is ask employees how they want to meet with you work right like do they want to and acknowledging that and, and accommodating that do they want to meet by zoom do they want to meet over the phone like how do they want to meet i mean people are exhausted and you know now that you have a hybrid environment you also got to decide like if you're going to allow employees to to decide how they want to meet like maybe they don't want to have their cameras on all day so that's another decision that you have to make and so allowing them to do that the second one, and I talked a little bit about real leadership, is having loyalty, um, and that's the L in the real. And what that means is that it's not that you tolerate mediocrity, but you're being loyal to your employees through the bumps in the road, and you're showing them that, you know, if they make mistakes or if they're they're doing something that you wouldn't do, that you're uncomfortable with, that you're not punishing them, and you're showing that, and you're showing them that they could come to work. And, and bring them their entire selves to work every day with without any repercussions. How do you do that? Well, you 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 tell them, hey, I'm really glad that you did this, or you 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 practice positive reinforcement. And you say, oh yeah, now that I know this about you, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually you know get give you more opportunities in this area, even though it's not something that I would do. Um, and so these are those are just a couple of tidbits. I mean, we could talk about this all day. But those are some easy things that you can start with in order to, you know, create this, this belonging within this hybrid environment. I really like that you touched on a few things there that I think they're, they're, they're stumbling blocks because we default as leaders to expecting, oh, well, we're just going to meet on Zoom or we're just going to meet on a video call. And yes, you should have your camera on like not actually pausing to ask people what they want on the other side of the conversation, I think is such a key thing to think about. And it's a small change that can have tremendous impact for people in helping them feel like they're being heard and that they can be comfortable 
in their communication when they're not in person with, with people. So, um, and I agree, we could talk about this all day and, <laughs> um, you know, it's such a rich and deep topic. And I, I feel like it's, we just have so much potential to change the narrative here. We have, you know, as leaders, we have the potential to really bring about change, not only for ourselves, but for people that we, we talk to and, and, and nurture and care for every day. Right. So, um, on that note, what do you think that leaders should be doing in particular to take us to the next level with DEI at work? Yeah, you know, I think that it's, you have to kind of, everything you know about, you think you know about leadership, not, I wouldn't say throw it out the window, but be willing to set that aside because all those theories and all those practices were were basically based on us being together at an office and so there's a whole nother archetype out there and that's why it's one of the reasons why i wrote this book but um i would say to be real and to make sure that that's something that you value and that's something that you want to try and again that's being relatable that's being equitable that's being aware and that's being loyal and relatable to different types of people and different types of teams. Like I said, with Relatable, you can allow people to, to kind of tell you what they want to do, how they want to meet. Some people might want you to meet them in person over coffee. Some people may want to talk on the phone. Um, being Relatable, being equitable, making sure that your processes are equitable, that your systems, that access to you is equitable. Um, now that you are in a hybrid environment, it's probably easier to say, okay, this is who I spend time with. This is who has access to me than it would be when you're at, you know, in an office and people are in your door in, in and outside your office all day, um, being aware of where you are right now. I mean, are you stuck in some of the old leadership practices? Are you holding, are you holding on to those things and are those things not working? Or are you aware enough to know that, hey, this is going to have to change. And, you know, every quarter I'm going to try something new. You know, now that we're in a different environment, I also have to try other things. And again, being loyal and being loyal is being loyal to the process. It's being loyal to people. It's being loyal to, you know, you changing and bringing in new ideas. And and so that's what I would say. It's like challenging the leadership archetypes, you know, and I write about this in my book where, you know, we have these leadership archetypes and sometimes it's like things like innovative leader and it's things like strategic leader and all those things. But those things are kind of, again, they're important to the nuts and bolts of business. But when you're thinking about people, there it's a whole even though that that label might be okay, the the actual tactics are are much different now based on the world we live in. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I like to talk about it in terms of uh, a new era of leadership finally. Right. It's it's we are we are arriving at this place where we can finally have a conversation about human and heart-centric leadership and not feeling like as a leader, we need to have all the answers and have all the power held close to our chests, uh, being vulnerable, having courage. Uh, these are all things that are, are a dramatic shift from the traditional leadership model or way of operating. And uh, again, op an opportunity to bring about change. And that opens the door for more compassionate, understanding, respectful practices within organizations and relationships and behaviors, as you've already talked about. Um, but another side of this that I wanted to explore with you is it's all fair and well to talk about 
leaders who need to be bringing about change. We we know that organizations structurally and architecturally need to be thinking about change. Um, but what about individual people who are in organizations? So peer-to-peer relationships, relationships upwards to their superiors, um, the way that they treat people who are more junior than them. Like, what can an individual contributor be doing to bring about change and and make sure that we are building more inclusive relationships within organizations? Yeah, for individuals, I would say um, the two ones I would put out there are empathy and psychological safety. So again, um, are you actually present for your teammates? Are you, you know, one of the things you can do as a teammate is, you know, when I talked about person to belonging, listening, you taking a step or step back and looking around and seeing, are people are certain people dominating the meetings? You know, are, are you finding that certain people are shut down? Are you finding that other people are, you know, favored more than others? And bringing that up because it's it's not on the other person. I mean, that's how you do this. And people are always like, "How do I be a better ally?" Well, that's it. You you listen. You you practice P to be listening, and and you you just state observations like they don't. They don't have to be these brilliant observations. It could be an observation of, oh, yeah, I noticed in our team meetings, you know, LaTanya is, is, not, is not given as much airtime as Bob, right? It, it's like little things like that. I think with the psychological safety, again, it's like kind of even um, as an individual contributor, one brilliant thing you can do on your team and one useful thing you can do is bring up a discussion um, with your team and say, hey, I, you know, I'd like to, you know, start off our team meetings with, you know, psychological safety and talking about that concept and us evaluating, you know, what we need on this team to feel psychologically safe. And let's, let's do that. And it could be as simple as a discussion and let's do that once a quarter and like evaluate our progress towards that. And that could be, like you said, just a, like a simple discussion of, hey, this is what psychological safety is. It's being able to make mistakes, being able to speak up without repercussions. Let's go around the room and talk about, you know, on a scale from one to five, how psychologically safe do we feel and what do we need in order to feel more safety and how can the team contribute to that? So again, empathy, psychological safety. I mean, it's really these three prongs that we come back to. And again, it doesn't have to be a hierarchical thing. Anyone can do this stuff. And it's sometimes we, it's hard for us to do it as individual contributors because we're so busy trying to fit in ourselves that we can't take a step back and observe our teammates to really take a look and see and connect with how inclusive our cultures really are. And again, it starts with us. I couldn't agree more. And each one of us has the power to bring about change. And sometimes it might feel difficult because you might be in in an organization that has a toxic culture or a different kind of leadership style that doesn't allow two-way communication. So there most certainly are things that would prevent people from speaking up or speaking out. I, I get that, but I, I do believe that it is possible for every person in an organization to have a voice and they, they should, if they can't have their voice in that organization, then they really shouldn't leave that place because it doesn't feel like there's much potential for them to make change there. But um, the one thing that I, I wanted to ask, just, you know, based on what I just said about there are some organizations that are structurally not geared to let people actually bring about change. Um, we've talked a lot about advanced DEI and thinking about DEI 2.0 in this conversation, but 
how do we help people who are struggling with DEI 1.0? Like, how do we get them to get the basics in place in order for us to be able to get to 2.0? Because there are still a lot of organizations and leaders out there who are at 1.0. Yeah, I talk about this a lot in my book. I have a chapter just on DEI and, you know, how to apply leading below the surface to it. And what I would say is, number one, I talk a lot about commitments um, and truly committing to it. And what does that look like? Well, I want everybody to think about the last time you committed to something or someone. Like maybe think about, you know, committing to your partner or, you know, your wedding or maybe committing to losing weight or committing to you know, a new diet, right? Or committing to mindfulness. What did you do to, to commit, right? And that commitment process and what you did and that commitment and how deep that process was, like, that's the determinant of whether or not it's going to work. I mean, because if it's going to work, you've embodied it, right? So it's like, what does that commitment look like? Um, and you got to do the same thing for organizations, right? Like, you know, I want everybody to think about that time when you made a commitment and it worked. And why did it work? Like, what did you do? Like, like, again, you must have embodied it for it to work, right? And you must have, you must have stayed loyal to it throughout the process. And so spending time on just committing, um, not just committing to, you know, saying that, hey, we're going to hire a DEI person and we're going to do some training. That's not commitment, right? That's action, right? But what does that commitment look like? And it's like, don't even think just like, once you make that commitment, it's not just the what's, it's the how's. Like, how are we going to move forward? Like, and those, I know that sounds like the answer that you may not want to hear, especially for an organization that likes to move fast and, you know, you're in a competition, but really it's like, I can spend like six months in that commitment stage, coaching a team, an executive team. Like all we're doing is commitment. And during that commitment period, we're raising awareness. We're talking about things where we are, and we're figuring out what we're committing to. Like, and, you know, but so many organizations don't do that. They just say, okay, well, you know, I want a, I want to change. So we're going to hire this person. We're going to do these things. We're going to take all these actions. But again, the commitment was never there. So it's not going to be long-term. So that's, again, that's 1.0 stuff that you have to do because you cannot practice these three prongs that I talked about if you're not truly committed. These are not trans transactional prongs. These are deep prongs that you'll have to work on after that commitment. Yeah, and I think what it's, it speaks to is this need for leaders to have a quick fix. Like they know that they've got to fix this problem and they want to make it go away. So you throw like band-aids at it, but you're not actually healing or, or dealing with the root cause of the problem. And that's where the commitment comes in. So I, I really like the way that you frame that because that really emphasizes that you've got to do the thinking and the work to be very intentional about what you're committing to. So thank you for, for sharing that. As, as we're wrapping up here, one last question for you. Are you optimistic about DEI in workplaces going forward? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I am optimistic 
about people gaining more awareness and gaining more tolerance, I guess. I, I will say, I won't say acceptance yet. It's probably tolerance around people that have lives that are different from themselves or people who are different from themselves. They have more of an appreciation. Uh, I, I still think that, I, I, let's just put it this way. I think the thing that could ruin it, again, is this, this obsessive focus on action. Um, but I, I, do, I will tell you something I am optimistic about is that, you know, Bev, when you talked about people, like this human side of leadership, um, I do think that we're starting to be able to see that as legitimate, especially after this year. And not, not just because of like the, the more stereotypical pieces of DEI, but I think because of people went through some really hard stuff last year and probably the hardest they've ever done, they've ever went through. And so, um, some people had the hardest year they've ever had. And so I think that will naturally build a more empathetic listening and so, so that, that is what I'm optimistic about is that even though everybody might not be on board, even if you have an executive team then one or two people are, then that's way more than we had even three years ago. Yes. Thank you. I, I, I have mixed feelings about it as well. Um, but I, I do think that what we're seeing around the, the turnover tsunami or the great resignation, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that employees have far more power than they ever have had because we've gone through this overnight shift to remote work for those of us who worked in offices. And even people who were working in, in non-office jobs are saying, well, I'm not satisfied with the working conditions. I don't like the way I was treated during COVID and I'm going to reskill and change my job. So there's a lot of shifting happening at uh, for people and and for workplaces. And I think that by and large, organizations are not going to have a choice in how they actually structure their workplaces to be more people-centric. Those who refuse to do it are simply just going to lose people or they will only attract, you know, the, the lowest sort of catchment of, of people, right, who don't care about those things either. Um, but I think for those people who really are dialed into the, the experience that they want to have and what they want in their work-life integration, how they want to feel included and cared for and valued at work, workplaces are not going to have a choice. They have to change. And maybe that sounds like they're changing because strategically they need to, but I, I ultimately think it's going to work itself out that we are going to have to shift to these more meaningful places of work where people come to do their amazing work and they can have the rest of their lives integrated into that experience as well. So that might be a lofty, <laughs> a lofty dream, but I think we've made the first few small steps to get there. So, and with the work that people like you and others are doing, uh, that's going to help us accelerate that. So thank you for everything that you're thinking about, writing about, um, emphasizing, um, really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. And I want to make, I, I agree. And I want to make one more comment because I, I love what you said. And I think if we focus on, and I talk about this in my book, changing our teams and that continues to, you know, to get traction, I, I think that's going to be the way forward is, you know, again, starting with teams and, and again, that, that kind of has 
like an effect where it's contagious and it kind of goes across the organization. I, I don't, the top down, I don't know if that's even the way anymore. And so I, I agree. I think it's, if you're, if you're doing it top down, Bev, I agree. It's like, I just don't think that it's, people are going to see that CEOs shouldn't be making the decisions of, like <laughs> about this stuff because otherwise they're not going to retain people um, because they're not the ones having the day-to-day -day interactions with these folks. That's And that's really where the day-to-day -day DEI lies. That's a fantastic spot to end. And that really, for me, is where it becomes so real. It's the day-to-day -day and it's the lived experience that people actually have within an organization and connecting with leaders. And it's how you're left feeling that is really going to determine the degree to which you believe DEI is actually present and active within the organization. So thanks so much. Uh, like we said at the beginning, big topic, lots to talk about. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting my hands on your book. It's uh, when is it coming out officially? Yeah. So it's out on October 4th. You can get it everywhere. So Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different From You, and it's leadingbelowthesurface.com. Fantastic. And we'll have that in the show notes, and people can go and grab a copy of it. Uh, it will be freely available by the time this episode airs, so totally encourage everyone to, to give it a read and uh, give it a share and uh, to help uh, promote the things that you're, you're doing um, and working hard at to make change. So thanks so much, Tanya. Great to see you today. Great to see you too. Thanks for listening to People at Work. If you enjoyed the episode today, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. We'd love to get this material into the ears, hearts, and minds of as many listeners as possible and would really appreciate your help. Until next time.